Good morning, Mercy Culture. I said good morning. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Waco. Can we thank our worship team for leading us into the presence this morning? As I was standing up there worshiping, I was just uh, filled with gratitude to the Lord that we have a team and a people of worshipers who go before the Lord in an age where worship music is devoid of the authority of Scripture. And every song it seems like we're singing is about us instead of about the Lord and about what we can get from him. We came into this place this morning, and our worship team, do you, do you realize what they did? They led us in singing the word of the Lord all morning. And the power and the authority that comes from speaking the word of God shifted the atmosphere in here today. I'm going to preach about prayer here in just a moment, but what we saw happen this morning was that as a congregation, we entered into a spirit of intercession. We felt the Lord invite us into a place of intercession and partnering with his words. And we sang and prayed and prophesied the word of the Lord over your family and over this city. So one more time, let's just honor this worship team this morning. So thankful. Uh, also, honor is one of the values of this house. So on that note, we have two of our elders from Fort Worth here with us. Pastor Abe's looking around like, who? With us here this morning, and um, every time they come, I can feel their strength. Mercy Culture Waco, you are well covered, and you are well protected. And Nikki and I are so grateful for their oversight, their covering, their love, their wisdom in our lives personally. But um, we want to just honor them for what they do for this house and for this city, even from Fort Worth. So can we stand to our feet and honor Pastor Abe and Pastor Ryan this morning? There she is. All right, not too much now. Be seated. <laughs> All right. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 39. And he came out and went as was his custom. This is Jesus to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you, that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Say strengthening. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow, he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I felt the Lord tell me to ask you this morning, why are we sleeping? Rise and pray again. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you that you are in this room this morning. Mm. Lord, I thank you that you have filled this tent with your glorious presence. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to saturate every part of this service with your presence. God, I thank you that none of us came to hear me speak this morning. 
but we all came to hear you. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and doing. Father, I lay down performance, comparison, and the need to impress. Lord, I just pray that your words would be spoken and heard in our spirits and that we would spiritually grow today. We say no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this room this morning. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. Amen. Welcome to the tent. This is our temporary home while we remodel the building right outside those doors. We're close, y'all. Just did another walkthrough. We're getting there. It's going to be the greatest air conditioning system in the world. On that note, uh, we have decided to extend one service um, throughout the rest of the summer. So through the end of August, we are going to be just having one service at 9 a.m. Because if you've how many been to the 11, yeah, it's hot. The rest of y'all are smart. Well, the word of the, the year over mercy culture is the word dunamis. It is the prophetic word over this house for 2023. And that means if it's the word over this house and you are part of it, it's the word over your house. This is the year that the dunamis power of God goes from on us to in us. And you heard so many people or so many songs this morning of just stewarding the prophetic words over this house. We see in Acts chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It is the year of dunamis power. Dunamis power to strengthen and to fortify our lives, to strengthen and fortify every part of our lives. We've talked about this so many times, but as we stepped into this year, I think few of us realized fully what strengthen and fortify meant. If we did, we may not have been praying it so passionately. Because when we start to pray and ask God to strengthen and fortify every part of our lives, what happens is the weak parts begin to be visible. And I began to ask the Lord, Lord, you're strengthening, you're fortifying us. And would you show us what you're strengthening and fortifying us for? You see, the Lord is not just strengthening us to fulfill our desires. He's not just fortifying our homes to fulfill what we want, but he's doing it so that we would be strong enough to do his will, to do what he's asked he wants us to remind us to be yielded vessels to the Lord. See, in a, in a culture and a society that is all about us, every, every new product that is developed and every, every part of culture, all of the entertainment, it seems like we're just surrounded by a self-centered ideology where everything is, is curated and customized just for you. And all of your experiences, and we become accustomed to getting what we want when we want it. And we want it quickly, and we want it now, and we want it customized and personalized just for us. But the kingdom of heaven is a little bit different. The kingdom of heaven is not about just getting our will and fulfilling our desires, but the kingdom of heaven and being a Christian is about dying to ourselves and becoming a yielded vessel for Jesus. And Jesus gives us this example in this scripture in Luke chapter 22. 
Jesus is the greatest example of a yielded vessel. Here we have the son of the living God. He is God in flesh, all-powerful, all-knowing. He existed before the foundations of the earth, and yet we see over and over again, Jesus came in humility and in meekness. And he said over and over, I don't do my own will, but I do the Father's will. And I don't speak unless the Father is speaking. And I don't say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. And I go where he tells me to go and do what he tells me to do. And here we see Jesus stealing away to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It's a hard word to say. He was in the garden. And we know Jesus knew what he was entering into. He, was, he knew that he was about to walk into unimaginable physical pain. So many people have written and scientists have written and researched about the pain that Jesus went through in his death and, and the, the things leading up to his crucifixion and how horribly painful. He was brought to the edge, to the verge of death before he was ever even hung upon the cross. It was unimaginable physical pain. And Jesus knew that he was entering into indescribable emotional pain. The people that were closest to him, his disciples, those that he loved so dearly, he knew that every one of them would turn their back on him in the hour that he needed them the most. His people, Israel, and his chosen city that he loved so much, the the city of Jerusalem, would turn their back on him when he needed them the most. And just a week earlier, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, God in the highest. And now they're screaming, crucify him. The emotional pain he must have been feeling. And he knew the spiritual pain that he was walking into. I think about this often, how Jesus has been with God the Father for all of eternity. He never knew a moment outside of the presence of the Lord. For all of eternity, he had walked with Father God. And there he is being, knowing that he's being led to the cross where the sins of the world are being placed upon him. All of our sins that we've ever committed or ever will commit being placed upon Jesus. And there was this moment without the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine the unimaginable spiritual pain that Jesus had to feel? And yet he decided that he would be a yielded vessel and do what the Father had told him to do. And we see the steps that he took in Luke chapter 22. The first thing that Jesus did was he withdrew from the crowd. Verse 41 said, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. Jesus stepped away from everybody else. He withdrew from the crowd. I want to give you some practical advice this morning. Be intentional about where and when you pray. You see, we can't treat God like he's just an acquaintance. Everybody knows that acquaintance, you know, that you run into every now and then. And you say, hey, I'm going to give you a call. And you know you're not going to call them. You know good and well that you're not really going to call them. Sometimes you walk away and go, did I just lie? You did. You lied. You you did. You say, you know, when you say to an acquaintance, I'll see you when I see you. It's like if we run in together, maybe we'll have a quick five-minute conversation. And if we don't, I'll catch you next time. That's how a lot of Christians treat their relationship with the Lord. It's like if I run into God, if I hear a song that tugs at my heart, 
If I feel like I've heard the Lord, if I need something, then I'll go and find God. No, we have to be intentional about when and where we pray. Set an appointment with the Lord. Find a place with God. This is the place that I encounter the Lord. This is the time I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to make this decision. It's going to cost me something. I got to get up an hour earlier. I've got to steal away, go away from the crowd and find a place to meet with the Lord. I want to, I felt the Lord tell me to lean in on MC Connect this morning. I want to remind you, I know I just said it, but if you have yet to go through MC Connect, this is not just about joining the church. It's the first step to joining, but most importantly, it's the way that you learn how you connect with God. And I know that for many people, finding a time and a place to encounter the presence of the Lord feels like an impossibility. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to do it. We want to help you. We want to help you to develop a plan and to find a place and to start the discipline of daily encounters. How many of you, by a show of hands, have begun daily encounters truly, consistently for the first time in the last year? Just lift up your hands. It's all right. Has it changed your life? Has it been life-changing for you? Any of us that have consistently begun to encounter the Lord can testify there is nothing that makes a greater impact in your life than that. I'm thankful that you're at church this morning. I'm grateful that you are here today. It is the first step. We love you. You are welcome here. We want you to be a part of it. But your life will begin to change every aspect of it when you learn the discipline of encountering the Lord every day. That's when everything will change. Your marriage will change. The way you parent your children will change. The way you look for a spouse will change. The way you work will change. The way you run your business will change. The way you love Jesus will change. Everything will be altered when you can begin to encounter the Lord every day. So take a deep breath and text CONNECT to 59090. Well, I don't know. Get over it. Look at your neighbor and say, get over it. Here we go. My grandfather used to say, suck it up, buttercup. Let's keep it moving. Connect with God. Learn. See, we, we, our prayer life is too holy to be treated as common. You see, so many of us treat our prayer life as a common thing. It's like a little snack, a little addition. No, your prayer life is holy. And it needs to be treated with holiness. The second thing that we saw Jesus do in that same verse is the Bible says that he knelt down before the Lord. He took a posture of humility. He knelt down and prayed. Jesus, the son of the living God, God himself in the flesh, still took a posture of humility before the Lord. Number three in verse 42, it says that he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What was Jesus doing? He was being authentic. He was being real with his father. You see, some of us are just too super saved. You know that term, super saved? Just so super saved that you feel like you can't be real with God, like he doesn't know. I love that. We're going to put on a show like God doesn't already know what we're thinking. He doesn't know the motives of our heart. And we just tell him, Lord, I'm just so glad to do what you've told me to do. 
Ooh, I'm just so happy. I'm filled with joy. I've heard your voice. I really want to. I want to go be a missionary in Zimbabwe. I'm so excited about it. No, Jesus was real. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. In other words, this really stinks. Look, God, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to go and die on a cross. I don't want to be beaten and bruised and mocked and humiliated. I don't want to be scorned. I don't want to go through the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. He sought the Father's will, not his own. You have to ask yourself this morning, is my prayer life spent asking God to partner with what I want to do? Or is it me partnering with what he wants to do? There was this moment uh, last year at SLS. And I went to lead, I believe it was the second year students, in a daily encounter in Fort Worth. And I'd never done this with, in public. I'd never taught a daily encounter class with SLS. And I was on the drive from Waco to Fort Worth. I was praying, and I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? I heard nothing. I love those moments, right? I didn't hear anything from God. He didn't give me any direction. I walk in. I pick up the mic. I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. I'm not going to fake it, so what am I going to do? So I put pads on. I just said, let's just begin to pray. And I just started to tell the Lord how worthy he is. Just began to have my own daily encounter. I laid down on the ground. I put the microphone down and I just prayed, just started to give glory and honor to the Lord and his presence came into the room and the students just began to lift up the Lord and we weren't asking God for anything and then there was this moment where I felt the spirit of the Lord reach down and invite us into intercession. He invited us into prayer. See, this is where prayer and intercession becomes easy in the presence of the Lord. You see, so many of us go into God and we've got our list of things that we want. It's our plan. We've developed our plan. We've got steps one through 27. We know exactly what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want it done. We take it to the Lord. We go, here's my plan. I drew it. No need to touch it. Hey, hey. Don't, don't. You can put the eraser away. I got it. I've got the plan laid out. I just need you to bless it. Thank you, Jesus. We just start repeating our plan over and over again. But then something happens when we give worth to the Lord and we worship him and he steps into the room and then he taps us on the shoulder and he invites us into intercession. I want you to be spiritually aware. It happened this morning in this service. Our worship team was lifting up God and then there was, this, there was a spiritual shift in the atmosphere. Did you feel it? There was this moment that the Lord invited us into intercession. And we began to declare and pray over the city of Waco. And it was easy to prophesy and intercede because we were partnering with what was on the Father's heart. But you can't have an effective prayer life if you don't know your place in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 11 what prayer in the kingdom of heaven looks like. Let's go to verse 5. He said, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot give up, get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying even your no, your no good low down friend who won't get out of bed for you to give you a loaf of bread when you need it the most. If you bother him enough, he going to get up and open the door. Anybody have kids in here? We know that our children can wear us down. They can ask and ask and ask. And as you get a little older, see, we have five children. And my son will always point out to us, Alex is turning 18 on August the 3rd, by the way. I can't believe I have an 18-year-old. But anyways, Alex will always say, you would never let me get away with that when I was her age. That's correct. I'm old and I'm tired. Just give it to her. What is she crying for? I don't care what she wants. Give it to her. Dad, it's a switchblade. I don't care. Put an apple on the top and let her go. Let's move on. Why? Because persistence. I like the biblical word impudence. We have some children that have the spiritual gift of impudence. And if they knock enough, you're going to give them what they want. And the same with the Lord. Jesus tells us, knock and don't stop knocking. Seek and don't stop seeking. Ask and don't stop asking. And the Father will answer your prayer. But see, we can't do that if we think that we're orphans. So many of us have this idea that we are some orphan that just bothers God and we're just like a buzzing fly around the throne room that he just wants to get rid of. No, you are a son or a daughter of the king. You are not an orphan this morning. And the Lord told me that I was to read these scriptures over you. So I want you to just posture your hearts to receive today. In Romans chapter 8 verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Say, I'm a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. I know y'all wanted me to leave that last part of the verse off. But the Bible says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, I'm going to read it in the amplified version. It says, therefore let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor. Say, I walk in favor. With confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in the time of need. But there is a lying, deceitful, orphan spirit who is trying to prevent you from impudence. Yeah. 
trying to prevent you from persistent prayer before the Lord. And the orphan spirit will lie to you and say things like, your prayers just aren't spiritual enough. What you're praying is just not quite spiritual enough. You don't have the right verbiage, the right language. You don't have a good enough vocabulary, and you're not using King James Version, and it's just not spiritual enough. The orphan spirit will say things like, you're a bother to God. You're just bothering the Lord, or God is annoyed with you. He's annoyed with your prayers, and you've asked the same thing repeatedly, and why do you keep saying that? It'll lie and say things like, if he didn't answer you the first time, then the answer is no. The orphan spirit will lie and say that you're praying about insignificant things. I remember I was a very young man, an early teenager, and someone told me, you know, you shouldn't pray about stuff like that. It's ridiculous. God doesn't speak to you about stuff like what you're going to wear or what color car you should buy. It's ridiculous. And I remember he said, I'm so tired of hearing people say, God told me this and God told me that. God doesn't speak like that. Well, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Pray about everything everything. And when the lying, deceitful orphan spirit begins to rise up in your ears and in your spirit, stop what you're doing and call it out. Sometimes we just need to stop in prayer and out loud say, that's an orphan spirit and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I give you a caution. The orphan spirit will make you give up, stop asking and stop believing. And it will convince you that doing so is honoring the Lord. The orphan spirit will tell you if you just stop repeating yourself and you stop asking God, you're getting on his nerves, you're annoying, you're asking for stupid stuff, you're asking for insignificant things. Just stop praying and it'll honor God. It's a lie from the enemy. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says, and he told them a parable, Jesus did, to the effect that they ought always to pray, always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That brings us to the fifth thing that Jesus did in the garden. He didn't give up. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, the Bible says, And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I researched this. When you look at this scripture in the original Greek language, you can see that this is not actually a metaphor. That Jesus literally sweat great drops of blood and Luke is the only author in the New Testament Luke the chapter the book of Luke is the only book of the gospels that describes this particular phenomenon because Luke was a physician 
And so I can imagine that Luke, as a scientist and a physician, was interested in the medical phenomenon of Jesus sweating great drops of blood. It's actually a very rare condition called hematohydrosis, and it is when you are under great stress and agony and distress that people can literally begin to sweat great drops of blood. The Bible says that it fell to the ground. It wasn't just a little trickle of blood, but his agony caused him to sweat great drops of blood, and he didn't give up. In his agony and his distress, he prayed even more earnestly. And then verse 43, it says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Ah. I heard the Lord say that he was going to send ministering angels into this tent this morning to give us dunamis power to strengthen us to pray again. That word strengthen is the Greek word in esku, and it means engaging, assaulting strength, being strong enough to face necessary confrontation or to engage resistance. The angels came to strengthen Jesus with an esku strength because Jesus knows that we are in a spiritual battle. The strengthening and fortification that we've been believing God for in this year of dunamis is not to strengthen and fortify walls that will wall us off from the battle. No, it is to prepare us to engage in the battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You see, Jesus didn't shy away from the fight when it became difficult. He prayed even more earnestly. He began to press in even more earnestly, but we see the juxtaposition of Jesus's immovable faith in the midst of agonizing distress to press in even more urgently and then we see in Luke 22:45 what happened with the disciples the bible says that Jesus rose from prayer and he came to the disciples and found them what sleeping for what reason for sorrow and he said to them why are you sleeping rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You see, the sorrow of their current situation lulled the disciples to sleep. I want you to see the consequences of Jesus's refusal to give up in that moment. While the disciples were so blinded by the sorrow of the moment, it drained them of their energy and they were lulled to sleep. Jesus' refusal to give up had great consequence. You see, the shedding of Jesus' blood for our sins didn't begin in the public place of the cross. It began in the private place of prayer. This is the first shedding of the blood of Christ. The beginning of the shedding of his blood for our sins happened in the private place of effectual, fervent prayer. Because Jesus knows that prayer is action. Say, prayer is action. Come on, I want you to say it to your spirit. Say, prayer is action. Prayer is action. 
Because we have a culture now that is telling us and communicating to us constantly that prayer is useless. I began to notice something about two or three years ago. It really started in the summer of 2020. There were riots going on and tragedy happening throughout the nation. And we began to see from news anchors and media personalities, from social media influence and celebrities, they would post things and say things constantly like, save your thoughts and prayers, give me action. You can keep your thoughts and prayers, pass a bill. Politicians would say, Keep your thoughts and prayers. Go and do something. And if we're not careful as believers, we will allow the cancer of that lie that prayer is in action to seep into our spirit. And we will begin to believe it. That our prayers are doing nothing. But James chapter 5 says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Different translation says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, your prayer is action. Ah. Don't allow the enemy to lie to you. And think when you steal away like Jesus did. And you go about a stone's throw away from the crowd. And you walk away and you kneel down and you begin to pray for your son or for your daughter. You pray for your marriage. You pray for your finances. You pray for your business. You pray for your city. You pray for your church. And the enemy starts to lie to you. This is useless. This is doing nothing. Why don't you do something? No. The prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer. The word fervent in the Greek is the word agonazomai. It is where we get the English word agonize, and it means to strive or struggle. See, the place of agony is an invitation to effectual prayer that avails much. Worship team, if you would, come up. A place of agony is an invitation to effectual prayer that avails much. I want to give you a caution. Don't become so discouraged with what you see in front of you that you give up on prayer. Don't become so discouraged with the moral and social deterioration that we see in our society around us that you stop praying for your country. In an authentic moment, I could feel that creeping up on me. And as we were on vacation and taking a little bit of time to rest, the Holy Spirit was just gently showing me you're giving up on the country. You're starting to get tired. Seems like every day there's a new news story and there's something different and we're going more crazy and things are getting stranger. And I could, the Lord was saying, you're giving up. You're getting tired. The sorrow of what you see is lulling you to sleep. For others, you're facing great personal tragedy and trial. Maybe you've been fighting and believing for the salvation of your husband or your wife. You've been believing for the salvation of your children. Some of you have been praying for years, believing God to send you that spouse that you know God has for you. And others, you've just had one financial struggle after the other. And some of you are dealing with unrest at your job or within your extended family. Or maybe you have physical sickness or you were just diagnosed with something that seems insurmountable. 
don't become so discouraged that you allow the sorrow of your present situation to put you to sleep. You see, sorrow can put us to sleep and do what? Lead us into temptation. The, t- the temptation for what? The temptation to give up. The temptation to throw in the towel. The temptation to step out of faith. Romans 14 tells us anything not done in faith is sin. Or that sorrow of our present situation can lead us into agonizomai. An agony. That fervent prayer that avails much. I felt like the Lord told me to apologize to some of you. Just as a pastor to repent for some well-meaning Christians. I've seen it before where people go through unimaginable loss. Some of you in this room have experienced the greatest loss that I could ever think of. You've lost a child. And I've seen well-meaning Christians go to young families that maybe just buried their child and say, oh, this was the will of the Lord. And he trusts you. And maybe you're sick and somebody told you, well, God trusts you with this cancer and he wanted you to have it. And he's got, no, it's, it's not God's will. We live in a fallen world and these things happen and God didn't will you to have cancer or he didn't will that your beloved child or family member pass away, but God can take your sorrow and agony and he can turn it into power and authority. Some of you know our story and some of you don't, but five years ago, coming up in just a few days, we were here in Waco and Nikki was expecting our fifth baby, little Georgia Grace. She goes to the doctor and the doctor said, ah, there's something weird on this. We'll send you a different doctor. And then that one said the same thing. We'll send you a different doctor. And finally we get pulled into this room. There are two doctors and two psychiatrists there. It's not the good news room. When they bring in the psych department, you know they're not going to tell you, everything's great, have a nice day. And they set us down and they tell us, your daughter has a very rare heart condition. It's almost always connected to a random deletion of a chromosome. She's going to have to have open heart surgery. If she survives that surgery, there's a 50-50 chance. She'll be in the hospital for six months at minimum. She'll be sent home with in-home health care for the rest of her life. She'll be physically deformed. She'll be mentally incapable. She'll have psychosis, digestive issues, and she'll have a life expectancy of about 15 years if you're lucky. And there's great sorrow. There's great sorrow. We're faith-filled people. We believe God, but we're human beings. And we felt a wave of sorrow and we just began to, to give God glory. And we go through and have this beautiful, peaceful pregnancy. And the Lord spoke to us and said, don't tell anybody, not anybody, but he said, keep the circle small. So we didn't post on social media that Nikki was expecting. Nobody knew except for 
our friends and family and those that saw her, you know. We, we kept it a secret. We found out early in the pregnancy about the diagnosis and we just didn't say anything. We felt the Lord say, no, I only want you to invite faith-filled people on this journey. You see, some of you are telling your business to too many people. They're filling you with lies and doubt. And they're filling you with sorrow and they're lulling you to sleep, convincing you to give up on your prayers. One week before her due date, the Lord said, I want you to invite the saints of God to pray. We heard him so clearly. And so we posted a picture of Nikki nine months prayer. We're like, hey, surprise. Cody's are having another kid, and here's the diagnosis, and we're inviting you to pray. And waves of prayer came from all around the world. We literally had thousands of people praying in churches sending us videos that we didn't even know that stopped and prayed in services. And people began to pray for our Georgia Grace. And she was born and everything was going great. We're believing God that she was going to be healed and she wasn't. She had that heart condition and she had, it. Nikki and I looked at each other. We knew that she had a look about her. We said, okay, we can get through this. It was like this look of Something was different about her face. And we said, all right, we can get through this. God is faithful. And we began to pray. And they told us, all right, we're going to do surgery in a week. And Nikki was in one hospital. And I was in the NICU with the baby. And I was standing there the day after she was born. And the doctor comes by in a hurry. And he said, Mr. Cody, things are not looking good. She's taking a turn for the worse. We're doing surgery at 7 a.m. tomorrow. And he walked out of the room. And a tsunami of fear and sorrow came over me. I couldn't breathe. I was, <laughs> I think it was my first panic attack. I went into an I went into a private room and I just began to pray and seek the Lord. The next morning we get up and it's early in the morning. We go into the pre-op room. There's like 25 people in there. And I said, wait, wait, can we can we pray over her first? And me and Nikki get down to pray. And I had no breath in my lungs. I could not speak a word as I lean over this child. And I felt angels come into the room. And until I was preparing for this message, I'd never put two and two together. The Lord said, I sent angels to strengthen you to pray just like I did to Jesus in the garden. I could feel angels lift the burden and I heard the Holy Spirit as clearly as I've ever heard him in my life. And he said, these angels were sent by the prayers of the saints. the agonism high prayer of a righteous man availeth much she went through that surgery and it took half as long as they said and she was supposed to be in the hospital for six months she was out in nine days we watched her face begin to change and turn normal we watched her blood levels change and her DNA scan came back perfectly normal. She doesn't take one medication. She doesn't have one issue. She has a perfectly normal life expectancy. And she's with my wife right now, probably running the house as we speak. 
But, but that story doesn't end there because a couple of years later, we're in Fort Worth, Texas after a staff prayer. <laughs> and we're walking through and we see the Powell family. We didn't know them and they didn't know us and they were visiting from California. They had this little boy in a stroller. We walked by and they say, hey, can you pray for our son? He has a heart condition. Ha. Me and Nikki just laughed. We looked at each other. We go, ha, ha. Oh, we have authority in this place. We said, we have authority in this place because we've been through the agony. Ah. And I don't believe for a second that God gave my child a heart condition, but he stepped into the middle of it. This morning, he wants to step into the middle of whatever it is that you're praying and believing God for. And he wants to give you an effectual, fervent prayer. If we will stop for a moment and shake ourselves from our sorrow for slumber and say, wake up, spirit. Don't allow the sorrow to lull me to sleep. And I know some of you are saying, well, my story doesn't end like your story does because I've prayed and I've believed God and I've done all of that and it didn't work for me. My child is still sick my friend died or my spouse still isn't saved or I'm still dealing with the bankruptcy or whatever situation I'm still waiting on the Lord well 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 Paul says but Jesus said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and Paul says therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everybody just close your eyes. Ah, Jesus. For how is our faith supposed to grow without uncertainty? Mm. How does the muscle of our faith grow without resistance to what we've prayed, without uncertainty? Church family, Jesus is found in the waiting. He's found in the waiting. If you're waiting for your answer this morning, uh, if you're waiting for those destiny, that destiny that you know God has spoken over your life, if you said, I'm just waiting, I feel like I've been in this pattern. I feel like I've just been circling the airport. I've just been in this holding pattern. I've just been waiting. Nothing seems to work and nothing seems to work for me. And every prayer that I pray seems to be unfulfilled and unanswered. Look around. Jesus is found in the waiting this morning morning he's there with us today
when I heard the Lord say he's sending ministering angels to strengthen us to pray again. I want you to stand to your feet. Lift up your hands and ask the Lord. Say, Jesus, would you strengthen me to pray again? Ah. Come on, open up your mouth. Say, Jesus, would you strengthen me to pray again? Come on, say, Jesus, would you strengthen me to pray again? Would you strengthen me to believe again? Would you strengthen me to extend my faith again to that wayward child that I've given up on, to that friend that I've tossed to the side, to that situation that I said it'll never happen, it'll never be fixed, that relationship that I said it'll never be fixed, to that business that I've let die, to that hope, that prophetic word, that destiny, that God dream that I put to the side and said it's impossible. God, strengthen your people to pray again. God, would you strengthen them to believe again? Would you strengthen us to pray again? Would you strengthen us, God? Would you give us the faith? 